And our text this morning is from John 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what, what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. As the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you I believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all those who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Loving Spirit, pursue us this morning and capture our hearts for you. Amen. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our conversation this morning between Jesus and Nicodemus, a leader of the Pharisees, contains two of the most famous verses in the New Testament, if not the entire Bible. So first in verse 3, where Jesus opens his part of the dialogue with a surprising statement, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above, or, as it is uh, also commonly translated, without being born again. Anytime you hear that term, born again Christian, this is the verse that is being referenced. That second famous verse in this passage comes a bit later, when Jesus, or maybe the narrator, it's not clear when the quotation ends, sums up the Christian message in verse 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. I mean, between these two verses, you'd think that John chapter 3 would be the most well-known chapter probably in the entire Bible. Except that this chapter is not just a collection of theological one-liners. It's not just some good Christian uh, sound bites, bumper sticker fodder. No, this is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, this uncertain Pharisee who is trying to reconcile this wonder-working rabbi with the centuries-old tradition that they both share. Now, you may recall from other stories about Jesus that the Pharisees are not generally on friendly terms with him. In fact, usually when we hear about the Pharisees in this gospel, they are either seeking to discredit Jesus and his disciples, or they are seeking to have him arrested and put to death. But Nicodemus is different. He, he's a prominent Pharisee. He's generally recognized as a leader among the Jews. And yet rather than uh, rejecting Jesus outright, as many of his colleagues seem to have done, something about Jesus has captured his attention He can't quite shake the feeling that there's more to this Jesus than meets the eye. This isn't the only place Nicodemus shows up in John's gospel, by the way. Later in chapter 7, we encounter Nicodemus standing up for Jesus in front of the other Pharisees, arguing that Jesus has a legal right to defend himself before the Pharisees condemn him outright. And then later in chapter 19, after Jesus is crucified, we find Nicodemus joining Joseph of Arimathea, taking the body of Jesus down from the cross, anointing him with a wealth of perfumes and spices before laying him in a tomb. Whether Nicodemus at this point knows it or not, his story is intertwined with Jesus's, and it all begins with this conversation today. Well, I don't know if you noticed this, probably after uh, the children's uh, reading you did, but despite his reputation as a leader, Nicodemus doesn't seem very confident as he comes to Jesus by night. And when he arrives, he begins to speak with Jesus. He doesn't even really have a question prepared, but rather he just makes a statement and then sort of trails off. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent from God, for no one can do these songs you do apart from the presence of God. You can almost hear that, uh, that lingering question. I mean, it's clear to Nicodemus that Jesus is from God, but Jesus isn't acting in the way that Nicodemus expects him to act. Jesus has been performing these signs in Jerusalem, these signs have convinced many, and Nicodemus knows that no one can do these signs apart from God, but Jesus is also the one who disrupted the temple sacrifices, He overturned the tables of the money changers, the sellers of animals, driving them out of the temple. Yes, this Jesus is a wise rabbi, but this rabbi seems to claim a higher authority uh, than even the temple institutions, which were commanded by Moses and have been observed for centuries. I mean, you can see, I hope, why this uh, Nicodemus might be of two minds about Jesus. And so he's unable to resolve this tension for himself, so he just comes and he presents his dilemma before Jesus to see what Jesus will say. And Jesus, quite frankly, isn't all that helpful in his answer. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again, or as I mentioned earlier, from above. The Greek is ambiguous. 
rather than addressing Nicodemus's question, this unresolved tension of how Jesus relates to the law of Moses, Jesus turns this conversation around. He turns it back on Nicodemus and Nicodemus's inability to see things as they are. Well, Nicodemus is clearly confused by this, but he takes the bait anyway and asks, maybe with a bit of sarcasm, how someone can be expected to accomplish this. I mean, if seeing the kingdom of God is dependent on being born again, uh, being born a second time, uh, I mean, how can someone make this happen? Well, Jesus responds again with a bit more detail, though I'm not sure the details Nicodemus was looking for. Not only do you have to be born a second time, but this birth has to come from water and spirit. All right. Well, the idea of birth from water, I mean, that maybe would have been familiar to Nicodemus. Uh, John the Baptist had been out in the wilderness performing baptisms. Surely Nicodemus knew about this. And it wasn't uncommon, actually, for converts to Judaism, adult converts to Judaism, to be baptized as they entered, as a way of signifying that they were entering uh, an entirely new way of life. And we know that at least some Jewish groups at the time referred to this baptism as a new birth. So being born of water, maybe that was familiar to Nicodemus. Maybe that made sense. But being born of spirit, that was something else entirely. I mean, probably Nicodemus could conceive of how he might be born of water should he decide that this Jesus was the real deal. He could picture himself being dipped in water, showing people that he had decided to follow this particular rabbi. But how do you manage the other part of that? How do you manage to be born of spirit? Especially if this spirit Jesus is talking about is indeed the spirit of God, the spirit we now call the Holy Spirit. Well, as Jesus goes on with his explanation and he makes this connection between the unpredictable wind, which blows where it chooses, and the spirit of God who cannot be controlled or predicted, the impossibility of all this must have hit Nicodemus like a brick. And the very last we hear from him in this conversation is that disbelieving question, how can these things be? It's a good question, especially if it has the sense that I think it might, which is that Nicodemus here, maybe he's asking, how could this possibly happen for him? So not so much, how can it be that this is the way the world works, but how can I make these things happen for me? I mean, you can understand that, right? You can see why he'd ask that question. Because Nicodemus has come to Jesus looking for answers, for resolution, for understanding. But what he's gotten from Jesus is this requirement that is beyond him. You must be born a second time from water and spirit. You know, if you ask around, there's no shortage of answers to the question, how can I see the kingdom of God? Or perhaps, how can I be born again? You may be told that you have to believe, right? Or maybe that you have to love Jesus or you have to repent. Uh, You have to pray the sinner's prayer, perhaps, or you have to make your decision for Christ. And quite likely, you'll even be directed here to John chapter 3 as a justification for these answers. But when you look to Jesus's answer to this question, you'll find none of that here. You won't find any list of actions for Nicodemus to take. There is no Roman's road here for him to follow. In fact, you'll find almost no mention of Nicodemus at all. As Jesus goes on, it's like Nicodemus disappears from view entirely. Instead, you'll hear about love. You'll hear about God's love in particular, which sends Jesus into the world to save it. Now, this is no sentimental, warm, and fuzzy love. 
This is not God's passive acceptance of whatever we say and do. No, this love of God Jesus is speaking of, it's a fierce and an active love, passionately seeking those who would very much prefer not to be found. A love who enters the world and shines light into our darkness, despite the fact that as we read, we love the darkness rather than God's light, our deeds being evil. A love that nonetheless captures us, causing us to trust, to believe in Jesus, turning us inside out and giving us a new eternal life. I worry sometimes that when we Christians talk about God's love for the world, we think of it as some distant idea, a general truth of the universe, something that just sits there and waits for us to remember it. And that on the other hand, when we Christians talk about believing in Jesus, about the kingdom of God, about being born again, we treat them as items in a checklist that we have to achieve or maintain in order to be saved. In other words, I worry that we get it all backwards, thinking of Jesus as the one who sits back and waits while we are busy making ourselves ready to receive him. But exactly the opposite is true. For we are the ones who hate the light and love the darkness, and God is the one who loves us too much to leave us alone. We could call this unconditional love, but I fear that's too weak a word. For it's true, it has no preconditions, but when it arrives, we can't help but be transformed, be created anew, and yes, be born again. So let's ask again with Nicodemus, how can this be? How can this born again thing happen for us? The answer is simple, though difficult to accept. It is entirely beyond your ability or power. You cannot do it. It must be done to you. So what then is it to be born again? If it's not a matter of making the right decision, it's the Holy Spirit capturing your heart with God's love so that your restless heart can trust in God. It is the bright light of God shining into the dark corners of yourself and transforming you with a forgiveness that knows no bottom. It is the giving of a new life, one which finds its source not in the love of your parents, as good as that can be, but in the perfect love of Jesus Christ, a love that overcomes even death. This love, this life, this light, this new birth of water and spirit it is given to you in your baptism, and it is renewed in you day by day, week by week, year by year, by the word of God who sustains you. For the Spirit, that Spirit who goes where she chooses, has co chosen to come to you, and her life-giving winds are breathing into you. For God so loves you, that he has sent his Son and his Spirit to capture your heart and claim you as his child so that despite yourself, despite even your best efforts, you too have been born anew. Amen.